Well, good morning again, everybody. And, and again, it's just great to see you here. Thanks so much for worshiping with us today. And, and I just want to say again, if you're here for the first time, we're excited that you're here. We hope you feel very welcome today. Uh, my name is John Bellis. I'm the lead pastor here at Alpine Logan. And I'm excited with you guys today as we wrap up this four-week series that we've been doing called The Bright Side. And we've been trying to look at how you and I can live positively in a negative world. And with all the confusion and negativity and honestly just the downright hate that you see going on in our culture, how can you and I live in a way that reflects God's love? How can you and I be a light in the darkness? How can you and I be living lives that are hope-filled when so much of the world around us seems like it's hopeless? And I hope this series has answered some of those questions for you about how you can do that. That's been our goal. Um, We've tried to show that this idea of of living on the bright side isn't just some pop culture power of positive thinking stuff, but it's actually rooted in God's Word. It's a reality that you and I can live on the bright side. And the reason we can do that is because we serve an amazing God, and He is good, and He is ultimately in control. And so because of that, even when the world seems like it's falling falling apart around us, you and I can have a positive attitude. We can live on the bright side. And so a couple of weeks ago, we looked at how we can use praise as a weapon to fight negativity. And I hope you guys have been just pouring out praise to God since that message a couple of weeks ago. And last week, we looked at how we can pray to get on the bright side. And specifically, we looked at how we can pray when we feel like we're at rock bottom. And I know some of you are in that season right now, and so you've probably been lifting some of those prayers up to God this week. Well, today we're going to wrap up by looking at how we can parent on the bright side. Now, if you're not a parent, please don't check out on me, okay? Because there's a good chance you may be a parent one day, and even if not, the principles we're going to talk about today are beneficial for all types of relationships, For your spouse, if you're a teacher, if you're a supervisor, a coach, a mentor, I think you're going to find these principles very practical and very beneficial. So hang in there with me, even if you're not a parent today. I want to kick it off by reading Psalms 127, verses 3 through 5. It tells us that children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from Him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. And blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. So do you look at your children as a gift from the Lord? I don't mean like a white elephant kind of gift either. I mean like a real real gift, right? Do you recognize that they're a reward from God? Would you describe your parenting as joyful? And I want to spend just a minute and think about this analogy of arrows in the hands of a warrior. See, in, in biblical times, you didn't just go to the store and purchase arrows. But a warrior would select the wood for his arrow. He would craft it. He would mold it. He would straighten it to make sure that it was ready so that when it was released, its aim would be true. Are you and I that intentional in the way that we parent? Or do we just tend to default to what is easiest? Or maybe we default to the way our parents did it. Right? I bet all of us can think of a time when we were kids and our parents did something and we were like, I will never do that when I'm a parent. And now we look years later and we do the same thing, right? Because that's the default. That's, what, that's what's easiest for us. And so I want to ask you guys a question. It's a question that I think you should really get your kids input on sometime this week. It's a question I've been asking. And that's, are you more natural 
at the positive side of parenting or the negative side. And so the positive side of parenting would be things like praising your kids, encouraging your kids, affirming your kids, listening to your kids. The negative side of parenting would be disciplining your kids, correcting your kids, offering constructive criticism or enforcing consequences. Now, let me be extremely clear here. I'm not saying that the negative side of parenting is bad. It's important and we need it. Our kids need correction. They need discipline. Okay? Only a foolish warrior would have an arrow full of crooked air, a quiver, excuse me, full of crooked arrows. Only a foolish warrior wouldn't take the time to mold and shape and make sure that they were going to fly straight. But the problem is it's so easy for us to tend to only do one side or the other. It's so easy for us to lean to the negative side of parenting. And so I want to ask you to ask yourselves this week, do I lean to the negative or the positive side? And as a pastoral staff, we've been doing that. We've been having some of those conversations. In fact, we're going to share just a quick video uh, with Brian. Actually, I'm not because I remember from the last service that video isn't synced and it's going to drive you nuts. It looks like Kung Fu Theater, so we're not going to play that video. <laughs> so let me just say this. I'll just tell you that I've been practicing what I'm preaching. This last week, I had that conversation with my kids and I, I asked them what they thought. And can you believe they had the audacity to say that I leaned towards the negative side of parenting? So I did what any good parent would do who leans toward the negative side. I promptly told them why they were wrong, and then I grounded them for two weeks. So if you don't see them come to church for a while, you know what's going on. Not really. But when I, when I asked my daughter Jordan what she thought, she was quiet for a minute. She said, do sports count? And I said, yeah, it all counts. She said, then you're definitely negative. <laughs> and then Andrew echoed the same thing. So that's obviously an area that I've got a lot of work to grow in. And then, of course, I asked them, well, what about your mom? And they didn't hesitate. Oh, she's positive. So just one more example that I married out of my league, right? But God the Father modeled the positive side of parenting every time he spoke publicly about Jesus. I want you to think about that for a second. God the Father modeled the positive side of parenting every time he spoke publicly about Jesus. And so if the Father thought it was important to praise his son... Our kids need it even more. So I want to take a look at one of the passages where God speaks publicly about Jesus. And it's in Matthew 3, verses 16 and 17, right after Jesus' baptism, we read the following. It says, After his baptism, Jesus came up out of the water. The heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. I want you to think for a minute about why God the Father chose to affirm Jesus. Because if he thought it was important to affirm Jesus, how much more important is it for us to affirm our kids? See, Jesus never had any issues with his self-confidence, but our kids do. Jesus never wondered, how much does God really love me? Our kids wonder that. Jesus never had identity issues or wondered, well, what is my purpose here? But our kids have those questions and those concerns. Our kids need to hear praise and affirmation from us. And they need to hear it in public, not just behind closed doors. How do you typically talk about your kids with your friends or your coworkers? Do you typically praise your kids when you're in that environment, or do you typically gripe about your kids? Or if you don't turn it into a gripe session, do you typically kind of poke fun at the decisions your kids have made? See, we do that so often, that's become normal in our culture, but it shouldn't be like that, guys. 
We should use those opportunities to praise our kids. See, God the Father also knew that his public praise of Jesus was important for Jesus' mission. Because he knew as he publicly praised Jesus, it would elevate Jesus in the eyes of his disciples and the eyes of those who were there that day. Think of the impact that had on the disciples and all those who saw Jesus' baptism when they heard this voice from heaven calling out, This is my son, whom I love very much. With him I am well pleased. See, remember that your children are like arrows, and arrows are meant to be released. God has a plan and a purpose for each and every one of your kids. He has called them to do something, and your public praise of them is going to aid them in their mission and in their calling from God. As you affirm them and as you affirm their strengths and their character, you're going to build up their confidence and you're going to empower them to go out and accomplish the mission that God has called them to. And so I want you to think about when is the last time you took the opportunity to praise your kids in public? When is the last time you used your words to build them up in front of someone else? Because you and I have so many opportunities to do that. We have so many chances to speak words to our kids that bring life that bring health, that bring encouragement. We have chances to talk about their character, their talents, about their love for God. It doesn't have to be a thousand-word monologue every time you meet someone about how awesome your kids are, because let's be honest, we get sick of that after a little while, right? But just be intentional about those opportunities that you have to speak blessing and praise to your kids. I remember as a kid growing up, my dad almost always introduced me to people as his hero. And that repeated affirmation and love meant so much to me as a kid growing up. And then I remember my mom screaming encouragement and and, and positive words from the bleachers at football games in elementary school and junior high and high school. I remember some negative things she screamed too, but that's a different sermon. But, uh, But those positive words in public in front of other people were so impactful for me. They did so much for my my confidence and my character. So I'm going to take a minute or two and I'm going to publicly tell you guys how awesome my kids are. My my kids are intelligent. My kids are kind. My kids are respectful of the authority that that I have and their mom has. They're respectful to their teachers, to other people who have authority. They're forgiving. My kids have always extended forgiveness to me when I've asked. That's one of the greatest blessings I have in my house. It's a very forgiving household. They keep things in perspective. They're not complainers. One of the things I love the most about my kids is they're comfortable in their own skin. They're very authentic. They don't live for anyone else. They, they try to live for Jesus. They don't worry about what everybody else thinks. I, love, I didn't have that when I was a teenager. I, I was like a lot of teens. I was trying to struggle to find out who I was and how to fit in. My kids don't care if they fit in or not. They know who they are. I love that about them. They work hard. They're great teammates. They love Jesus and they care about what he thinks. And thanks to God's grace and thanks to an amazing mom, they're, they're pretty awesome. They're pretty incredible. Now, for your homework this week, I'm challenging you to go do the same thing. I want you to praise your kids in public. I don't care where. It could be in your small group. It could be with your mentor. It could be at the, at the golf course, at the hair salon, at the grocery store. I don't care where, but I'm challenging you to do it. Go praise your kids in public this week. And then I'd love to hear about it next week. Come back and tell me how it went. And then I would encourage you to make it a habit. I recognize as I say that, that these verses are very hard for some of you. Because some of you are thinking, Pastor John, I I can't honestly say that my kids bring me great joy. You know, God the Father could say that because Jesus was perfect. But my kids are far, far from perfect. 
You don't know the decisions they've made. You don't know the heartache they've caused our family. You don't know that they don't want anything to do with me. They think they know it all and they won't let me in. Or they've traded our relationship in for an addiction or for another unhealthy relationship with someone else. And if that's your heart right now, I want you to know I hear you and you're right. I don't know what you're going through. At least not from an experience standpoint. I haven't had to experience that. But know that my heart hurts for you. I'll pray for you. But more importantly, I want you to know that God knows exactly what you're going through. Because he's been through it with us. We've hurt him over and over and over again. We've rebelled against him. And I want you to know that God still speaks praises over us publicly, even though we've done that. As believers in Christ, he speaks praises over you. He did that in the Old Testament over the nation of Israel as well. I just want to read an example of that from Zechariah 2.8. The Lord Almighty is talking and he calls Israel the apple of his eye. I love that. He tells Israel, you're the apple of my eye. And you need to understand that this is after generation, after generation, after generation of Israelites turned their back on him, rebelled against him, disobeyed him, didn't want anything to do with him. And God still says, you're the apple of my eye. As a Christian, as someone who's put your faith in Jesus Christ, he says the same thing about you. You're the apple of my eye. And if God can do that for us, then you and I can do that for our kids, even when they wrong us. That leads us to our next point. That's that God created every human with a need for love, and it all starts in childhood. Affirming words work alongside discipline to build character and confidence. So the reality is every human needs love and affirmation. It's not a weakness. It's not a design flaw. It's part of how God created us. Okay, God created us to need His love and affirmation. We said all the time around here that we all have a, a God-shaped hole in our heart that only He can fill. This need for love and affirmation is what draws us to Him. The affirming words work alongside discipline to build character and confidence. It isn't one or the other. Our kids need both of those. They need affirming words and they need discipline and correction. And I think this speaks to how intentional you and I need to be as parents when we speak to our kids. How can we combine affirmation and discipline to build up our children? Did you know that affirmation can be corrective? Think about when you train a pet. Think about when you train a dog. Do we spend most of our time correcting negative behaviors or do we affirm positive behaviors? We spend most of the time affirming positive behaviors, right? We give them a command and when they do it, we give them a treat. We say, great job. We get excited. We pat them on the head, whatever. We affirm positive behaviors. So we've learned how to do that with our pets, but so often when we treat our kids, we only worry about correcting the negative behaviors. So be on the lookout for behaviors and character traits that you want to see in your kids. And when you see those, affirm them. Tell them you're proud of them. Tell them great job. Tell them you love them. Tell them like God did to Jesus Christ that you bring me great joy. What kid wouldn't want to hear their mom or dad say, you bring me great joy? Proverbs 16, 24 says it like this. Kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. Now, this is applicable for all relationships, not just our you know, parents and children, but any relationship that we're in. And, and I think in our kind of sugar-crazed world, this verse has lost a little punch. But think about when this was written. When this was written, honey was like the world champion of something sweet and satisfying. 
If it's written in today's context, it might read something more like kind words are like a rich New York cheesecake. Or kind words are like a homemade cookie warm right out of the oven. Or kind words are like your favorite milkshake at Charlie's on a warm summer evening. Like whatever it is that gets your mouth watering, that's what this proverb is equating kind words to. But there's more than that. It's not that they're just satisfying. They're also healthy for you. Now, if we could just figure out how to do that with the cheesecake and the cookies and the milkshakes, we'd be on to something, right? Okay, but think about it. Honey isn't just sweet. It also has medicinal properties. It's actually healthy. Some of you may have used you know, honey and tea to soothe a sore throat. Honey is soothing. Think about how kind words can soothe a stressful situation. So kind words aren't only satisfying, they actually promote health for the body. And studies have shown the physiological effects that our kind words have on our body. Those kind words lower our blood pressure. They can lower our heart rate. So when you use kind and affirming words with your kids, you're literally having an impact on their body and their spirit when you affirm them in that way. So here's another verse that I think challenges us as parents. Ephesians 4.32 says, Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another just as God through Christ is forgiving you. So if you think back to most of the interactions that you've had with your kids over the last several weeks or even the last several months, would you describe them as kind? Would your kids describe them as kind? Do you feel like you've been tenderhearted with them? The word that's translated tenderhearted there in Scripture is also translated compassionate a lot. Do you feel like you're compassionate with your kids? I recognize for me that that's a weakness. I'm so grateful that God gave my wife the gift of compassion. She's probably the most compassionate person I've ever met. So she helps balance things out in our home a little bit. Would you describe your relationship with your kids as forgiving? I hope your kids would think about forgiveness when they think about the relationship they have with you, that they would think mom and dad are forgiving. Do you forgive your kids or do you tend to hold a grudge? Now, again, I'm not saying there shouldn't be consequences for our kids when they mess up. Consequences are important. But do your kids still feel like they're paying for mistakes they made years ago? Have you ever spoken forgiveness to your kids? Or do you just assume they know it? I would encourage you to speak forgiveness to your kids. Tell them that you forgive them. Don't assume they just know it. The other thing I would encourage you to do is I would encourage you to be very quick to seek forgiveness when you mess up. Because as parents, we mess up all the time, don't we? It's a tough gig. (laughs) It's hard to do. Some of the sweetest times I have in my memory of my kids is when they've extended forgiveness to me when I've asked for it because I've messed up. So model that for your kids. Be quick to seek forgiveness when you mess up. I want to focus on one more verse along these lines. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. I love this. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? I am so grateful that God is wonderfully kind tolerant and patient with me I thank God for that every day now that doesn't take away the fact that God is a judging God God is not afraid to discipline in fact we see in scripture that God has wrath but at his heart God is kind tolerant and patient towards us 
And because he's been that way with us, we should be that way with others, especially with our kids. We should be kind, tolerant, and patient for them. So I think sometimes we think that as parents, discipline is the main thing. And we boil our job down as parents to behavior management. But discipline is not the main thing. Love is the main thing. See, love is the main thing, and discipline is just one tool God gives us to love our kids. I think we need to be careful not to get those two mixed up. That love is the main thing, and then discipline and affirmation and time and provision and kindness are all tools that we use to love our kids the way God has called us to love our kids. The Bible says that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And Paul reminds the early Christians here in Romans 2 that it's God's kindness, that its intention is to turn them from their sin. Our kindness to our kids is such a powerful tool to help them make good decisions, to help them turn from sin. Again, I understand some of you are thinking, but you don't know the situation that I'm currently dealing with. You don't know how many times over and over my kids have messed up. You don't know the pain they've caused. And again, I would just say you're right. I, I don't know, and I'm not minimizing that. I know it's brutal for some of you. But God reminds us in Romans 2, 4 that we've done the exact same thing to us. And yet his response has been kindness, tolerance, and patience. So if he can do that for us, we can do that for our kids, even when they let us down. I want to get really practical here as I go into the last point. And that's that affirmation takes talk, time, and touch. And there should be a quality to your affirmation that is intentional, authentic, and unique to each of your kids. See, affirmation takes talk, time, and touch. You can't just do it one way. Now, typically our kids need more of one of these than they need the others based on how they're wired, based on how God's designed them. But they need all three. Then the other thing that makes it, makes it difficult and confusing is you typically as a parent are going to be wired to give affirmation in one of these areas more than the other two. And that's why we have to be intentional. Because we need to make sure that we're affirming our kids in the method that means the most to them, not just the one that comes most naturally for us. And then to make it even more confusing, if you have more than one kid, they probably are going to receive affirmation differently. One of the things that amazes me is how two kids from the same mom and dad can be absolutely, totally different. You know, I remember that was one of the biggest surprises I had as a parent. We, we kind of thought we finally had it figured out after child number one, and then all of a sudden child number two came along, and he was totally different, totally different personality. So let's break these down. I want to talk about talk, time, and touch for just a few minutes here, and let's first look at talk. How often do you have meaningful conversations with your kids? How often do you really seek to hear their perspective? How often do you encourage them to share about their fears, their hopes, their dreams, their interests? And then what do you do if your child's a little more of an introvert? Like what if you do if your child doesn't process things verbally? Then that makes it even more challenging, right? So my, my two oldest kids are my two sons, Caleb and Andrew, and they are completely opposite in this regard. If you ask Caleb at the end of the day, how was your day, 99% of the time, you'll get a one-word answer. Fine. If it was like an amazing day, he might say good. <laughs> right? Like that's, and you're waiting for more, but more never comes. And then if you ask my son Andrew how his day was, he'll be like, oh man, on the way to school, this guy pulled out in front of me, I almost hit him, I was so mad, but I got over it. 
Then he'll tell you about what he had for lunch. Then he'll tell you about how he did on his math quiz. Then he'll tell you how practice went. Then he'll tell you how he and his buddies are going to answer the girls who asked him the girls' choice dance. I mean, it's like night and day when you ask them how their day went. And so I've had to learn how to be really intentional about asking Caleb more questions and trying to draw things out from him without making it feel like an interrogation, right? And I got to be honest with you, after 18 years, I still don't think I'm very good at it. <laughs> I'm still growing in that area. I'm still trying to learn how to be better at that. But, but I've been intentional about that. I want to keep being intentional about that. And if you haven't been intentional with your kids about conversations, I'm just going to warn you, it's going to feel really awkward at first. And that's okay. Hang in there. Stick with it. Keep doing it. See, just like we can be kind, tolerant, and patient with our kids, because God has been kind, tolerant, and patient with us, we can really listen to our kids because God really listens to us. You may not feel that way sometimes, but I want to give you a couple of reminders from God's word that God listens to you. He really hears you. So if you struggle sometimes and wonder, God, are you even listening? Write these down. Hold on to these when you feel that way because God's truth is more important than how you feel about something. The first one is Psalm 66, 19. It says, but truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. The next one is 1 Peter 3, 12. It says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. God listens. I mean, how comforting is it to know that when we go to God and we pour our hearts out in prayer, He really listens. Imagine how frustrating it would be if you went to God and poured your heart out in prayer and you were all done and as you are wrapping up, God was like, oh, wait, sorry, John, what was that? I wasn't really paying attention. Could you, could you say that again? That would be so frustrating. That would be devastating depending upon what we were praying about, right? God would never do that to us, and yet I think sometimes we do that to our kids. Let's really listen to our kids. And kids, if your parents do initiate conversation with you and it's a little awkward, be patient with them. <laughs> Extend them some forgiveness. Because as tough as you think being a young child or a teenager is, I promise you, just wait till you're a parent. It's tougher. So, so be gracious towards them. Hang in there with them. They're doing their best. They're doing the best they know how to do. Okay, the second one I want to talk about is time. So we looked at talk. Now let's talk about time. How often do you spend intentional time with your kids? And I'm not talking about just being in the same room with the TV on, but how often do you spend intentional time with your kids? See, for some of your kids, this is the best way to affirm them. What they really need most from you is just your time. Spend time doing things that interest them. I would say this last year, I've probably asked my daughter Jordan like 20 to 25 times, hey, do you want to go on a hike? You want to go fishing? You want to go shed hunting with me? And every time she's like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> I don't need any of that. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't ever you know, stretch our kids, and I'm not saying that our schedules should just revolve around them, but if the only time I ever express an interest in spending time with her is doing stuff that I want to do, that's not very affirming. If I really want to affirm her, I need to spend time doing something that she really likes to do. See, when I spend focused time doing stuff that she likes to do, she's going to feel much more affirmation from me. You know, I heard it said years and years ago, and I believe this with all my heart, that if you really want to know what's important to someone, you look at their checkbook and you look at their calendar. Because we spend our time and our money on the things that are important to us. So as parents, if someone were to look at our calendar, does it reflect how important our kids are to us? 
Lastly, I want to talk about touch. Now, obviously, we need to be wise with touch. Appropriate levels of touch for your own kids are going to be different than appropriate levels of touch for someone else's kids or for an adult. We don't ever want to touch someone in a way that makes them feel uncomfortable. We need to be very wise about invading someone's personal space. But sometimes physical touch can be a great source of affirmation, especially for our kids. So I want to read a portion from one of the many studies that have been done on how touch affects our physical health. Now, this is a little wordy. It's a little, it's a little nerdy for me. Some of it's probably over my head, but just hang in there with me as I read it. It says, here's how the calming power of touch works on a physiological level. Touch stimulates pressure receptors under the skin that carry signals to the vagus nerve, which connects the brain to the rest of the body. That nerve, in turn, uses those signals to slow down the nervous system, lowering heart rate and blood pressure, and curbing the activity of the stress hormone cortisol, an immune system suppressant. Being touched also triggers a rush of the neurotransmitter serotonin, a lack of which has been linked to depression, and dopamine, which regulates pleasure. When a person is deprived of touch, on the other hand, these things don't happen. The vagus nerve doesn't calm the body into lowering heart rate and blood pressure. Cortisol, with its immune-destroying power, isn't kept in check. And those neurotransmitters don't kick in to regulate our mood and emotional state. If touch helps keep a person healthy, then lack of it, especially in cases of suffering and heightened trauma, can literally make a person ill. You know, I think about in the New Testament, I love how often Jesus touched the people that he healed. Jesus didn't have to do that. Jesus is almighty God. He's, he, he's all powerful. He didn't have to touch them to heal them, but he knew they needed his touch. I mean, think about some of the lepers that Jesus healed. Who knows how many years it had been since they had experienced a single touch from another human being. I, I can't even imagine what that would be like. But Jesus knew they had a need to be touched. So what does touch look like for us? Well, appropriate touch could be something as simple as a, as a high five or a fist bump, or maybe in COVID it's, it's the elbow bump, right? Depending upon the history of the relationship, it could be a, a meaningful hug. It could be a pat on the back. I know for the kids that I coach, it's a slap on the back of the helmet sometimes, right, Xander? <laughs> not too hard, just, just a little bit. For our kids, let's not be cold and unexpressive. Let's pick them up. Let's hug them. Let's hold their hand. Let's give them the right amount of physical touch, the appropriate amount. Dads, did you know that multiple studies have shown the number one factor in whether or not your daughter will be sexually active before she gets married is if she had appropriate physical touch from her dad? So let's be parents who are intentional about appropriate physical touch with our kids. Now, as I've been sharing this, I hope that you've been thinking like, okay, which of these do my kids most respond to? Which one of these do I need to speak the most to my kids? And if you're not sure what that is, have a conversation with them. Ask them. They'll tell you. You know, Many of you have probably heard of the book, The Five Love Languages. This book asserts that there are basically five primary ways that people speak and receive love. And it asserts that each one of us have a primary love language, a language that we receive more than the others. I would encourage you to have that conversation with your kids and find out what their primary love language is if you don't already know it. If you want some help with that, we've got some great conversations on the website. If you go to PursueGod.org, you'll see several videos about the five love languages. I've had that conversation with my kids, and it's been really helpful. 
In fact, it was interesting, my, my one son, his love language changed. His primary love language now is words of affirmation. When he was really young, it was physical touch. Like he was that kid that was always sitting in your lap. You know, or a typical boy is always one punching you in the side when he comes up from behind you, right? Or jumping on your back or those kind of things. And so for years, I, I kept kind of speaking physical touch. I thought that was his primary love language. We had this conversation about five years ago, and he's like, no, actually, Dad, it's words of affirmation now. So I've been more intentional about speaking positive words into his life. But I just would encourage you to go through that together as a family because it'll allow you to speak love in a way that your kids are going to hear and receive. As we wrap up today, I just, I just want to talk real quickly to those who have already put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior. I want to remind you that when you did that, that God adopted you as his son or as his daughter. And that now God says he delights in you. He speaks praise publicly over you. He's kind and he's tolerant and he's patient with you. And because of that, you and I can do the same for our children and in the other relationships in our lives. If you haven't experienced that relationship, that, that parent-child relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ, and we'd love to talk with you about that after the service. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to answer any questions that you have. I'm sure the person who invited you here today would love to do that too. But as we dismiss, I just want to encourage you, if you're a parent this week, praise your kids publicly. And then come back next week and tell me how it went. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you delight in us. We thank you that you are wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient because we sure mess up a lot. We thank you for your forgiveness. And God, I pray that we as parents, those of us that are parents, that we would model that with our kids. That our, that our home would be a culture of, of kindness and patience and forgiveness. That you'd help us to balance that affirmation and, and those positive sides of parenting with the negative sides. Because they need both. Lord God, they definitely need both. We understand that. But help us not to get out of balance. And help us look to you. Lord God, I thank you that as believers, your Holy Spirit indwells us. You empower us to love and parent the way that you do. So I pray that that would be our goal. We love you, God, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.